You are listening to Graceway's weekly message podcast. We hope that this message encourages you to know and enjoy God, find friends, discover your purpose, and make a difference in your community. Enjoy the message. So in my early 20s, actually as a teenager, I uh, hung out with a you know, the same handful, you know, eight to ten guys. Uh, two of those were two Italian twins, and uh, they were wild men, both of them. And so when we graduated high school, we continued to hang out a little bit, even as we were going to different schools, and uh, we decided we were going to take up rock climbing. And so we started on some smaller rocks, and then we started to go down to New River Gorge in West Virginia, hundreds and hundreds of feet high. And there was a certain time we were down rock climbing in West Virginia, and one of my Italian twins friend, he caught his hand in some of the rope and ripped it open, had a big old gash in his hand, uh, and probably needed stitches. Uh, but we said, no, man, we, did, we just got started. Like, you're going to have to, you know, lick it or rub some dirt on it or whatever, man. Like, I, I don't know what to tell you. And then uh, about halfway into it, I was rock climbing. My foot slipped off, and I basically ripped the top of my ankle off. And we thought, you know, your stitches is not worth, but if both of us need stitches, we probably need to go to the hospital. So we got into the truck, drove to a hospital in West Virginia, which I would not recommend, all right? Um, <laughs> Uh, went into the hospital, went to the emergency room. Uh, he went first, and I, I vividly remember this. Um, both of us, well, I was sitting in one bed, and he was sitting in another bed, and this nurse comes in, and she has uh, the needle that uh, they're going to use to numb you up before they stitch you up. You know what I'm talking about? Uh, how many have ever had this experience? That needle looks like it's a straw, right? And I'm like, what are you, you going to do with that? And she's like, I'm going to numb your, numb your ankle, and she took that straw full of numbing agent, and she, where'd she put it? She put it right into that wound. I will never, I almost passed, I was like, what are you doing? What are you doing? Right? And, uh, and after that, I couldn't feel beneath my, my knee, and it was, it was all good. And I've had that experience more times than I care to tell you, all right? Uh, Many years later, we, were, uh, we, we uh, had had, had uh, Noah and Emma and, uh, and we took him down to Disney World, the most expensive weekend of my life, and, uh, and, and, and had had a great day at the park, and Noah was in the shower, and he was, he was a little guy who was kind of dancing around, and I vividly remember, I hear him slip, and I hear this sick thud, right? And I opened the shower door, and his, his chin was split from here to here, and I, I looked at Ash and I said, we're going to have to take him to the emergency room. And I remember that whole drive. He was super chill, cool as a cucumber, didn't know that he had an extra mouth on his face. And, uh, and I, I am thinking about my experience in that West Virginia emergency room and them sticking a straw directly into my wound. And I'm deciding that I'm going to convince the docs that they can figure out a different way because I don't want to see them do this to my boy. And, and, and on that trip... Uh, I was able to do it. Come on, somebody. I talked to Docs, just glue that thing together. A couple years later, he was playing again, found the same one, and that, that thing doubled. He's probably never going to have a glorious goatee uh, because of my poor parenting. And, uh, and I had to take him to the emergency room again. Uh, that time, uh, I was not able to talk them into gluing it shut. They jammed that needle into his chin, but because he was a stud then, he's a stud now, it was all good. Come on, somebody. All right, you think that boy is good looking and a stud now, you just wait. He's going to be an incredible man by God's grace, I promise you. Um, 
it's an interesting thing. Um, I've learned this in the physical. I've learned it in the spiritual. I've learned it in the emotional. We don't like people touching our wounds. We, we don't like people putting their hands in, on, around, even, even if they're trying to help us, even if it's going to make us feel better. We don't like people touching wounds, traumas, hurts, disappointments. And so we're going to have a relationship series. It's, it's February, and a lot of churches do relationship series during February. And, uh, and, and we're at this interesting time in, in our history where we're incredibly divided, right? Uh, anytime you read about where society is, we talk about how much conflict there is, how, much, how unkind we are to each other, how far apart we are from one another, how far we are from uh, being unified and on the same page. And, and, and I, I read a lot about culture and society, and there's a lot of ideas about how to get it fixed. Normally, they're pretty vague. Normally, they're not actually that helpful. Normally, they involve the person offering the solution, getting what they wanted all along, right? Have you noticed this when you watch the news? Um, but the Bible has a, a plan for us when we're struggling, when we're divided, when we have conflict. And it's, it's much simpler than you'll see on the news, and it's also much harder than you'll see on the news. And it's one word. Are you ready for it? It's forgiveness. How, how is your family gonna, going to get well? How is our church going to get well? How is our city going to get well? How is our country going to get well. Well, if we do it God's way, we're going to have to learn how to forgive each other. Because the reality of it is, uh, we're not going to stop hurting each other, not on this side of eternity. We're not going to stop saying things we shouldn't have said, doing things we shouldn't have done. We're not going to stop disagreeing. We're not going to stop being from different places and having different perspectives. So if we don't learn how to forgive one another, we're just going to keep wounding one another and then asking one another to not touch the wound that got created by the thing that happened before it. We have to learn how to forgive. And, the, and, and, and I said it's simple, but it's, it's brutally hard, isn't it? And part of the reason that we struggle with forgiveness is just simply that, how hard it is. We say, I don't have the bandwidth to do it. I don't have the energy to do it. And if I'm honest with you, I don't, I don't have a desire to do it. Cornelius Plantinga says, anybody who thinks hard about forgiveness will start a lot more rabbits than he can catch. The topic raises a whole nest of questions, and the good answers will seldom be the easy ones. I think, as I've studied over the last couple months about forgiveness, that any helpful series on forgiveness has to address the stunning simplicity and beauty of God's example of forgiveness and commands that we be a forgiving people. I think we have to talk about that. And at the very same time, I think we have to admit the absolute violent brutality of the command that we should be forgiving people. It's, 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 brutally, it's brutally hard. And there's a reason that we started the year with 21 Days of Prayer. And there's a reason that we started the year with a series called Hearing from God. Because if you're going to be a forgiving person, you have to be hearing from God on a regular basis. My hope in this series is that as I talk, my voice will kind of fade into the background, the Holy Spirit's voice will become front and center for you. And you're going to need to press through some things to hear what God has to say to you. You're going to have to press through what happened and why they didn't and your perspective on it and all the things that it caused. And you're just going to have to say, God, I just need you to turn down the volume on everything but your voice because what I want 
comes from you, and, and if, if, if you don't talk, I'm going to come to the same conclusions that I've been coming to, and it's not working, and so, God, I, I need to hear from you. Now, for some of you, it's not a question of need. You know exactly why you're stuck, where you're stuck, who you're stuck with. If I bring up the word forgiveness, immediately a person or an incident pops into your head. For others of us, uh, we know that we're stuck, but we're not sure why. And, and I just want to say that I think, I think that this might be why. I think especially with the last couple years that we've come through, most of us, many of us, the vast majority of us have some undealt with traumas that we took into COVID that got worse in COVID, and now we're just kind of trying to normalize it, not feeling that good. I think that we have some things that are undealt with or that we thought we dealt with, but they're back. And I think that when it comes to some of the things we're struggling with, I think some of us know what it is and some of us know who it is, but I think that some of us are mad at people that we've never met. Mad at people in D.C. who don't know you exist. And it's bogging you down. It ain't bogging them down. It's bogging you down. Mad at... CCD and, and health professionals, mad at things that happened in the past. Mad, we're, we're just mad. I'm just mad. Why are you mad? I don't know. I'm just mad. Okay, well, well let's, let's talk about that over the next, over the next couple of weeks because, because I want you to be well and because I want you to be free and because I want you to be able to receive what God has for you. And a lot of these struggles and tensions that we have, they're taking up space in your heart that could be used by God's voice and God's spirit and God's purposes. So I want to ask you to let God into it. I want to ask you to let him speak to it. I want to ask you to let him, to let him touch it. <laughs> I want to ask you to being open to him healing it. And I want to ask you to engage for the entire series. Um, this topic is too difficult to say in one week. And I don't want to disrespect your hurts and your traumas by attempting it. This is really one long sermon broken into, if I'm honest with you, I don't know how many weeks. Typically, when I do a series, I know exactly what I'm going to say for how many weeks. God just simply wouldn't let me get there on this. So I know it's at least three and probably no more than seven. <laughs> but if we're still talking about it in 2026, y'all just are going to have to deal with it, all right? I need you to engage not with me, uh, but with God. I'm going to do my best to be gentle, and I need you to manage your wince. That thing, oh, I don't want to, no, 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 no. Listen, God is the great physician, and whatever God wants to bring into your life is for your good. It took us a while to get this stuck, and it's going to take us a minute to get unstuck. Okay? So when the Bible talks about forgiveness, I think a lot of times we think that it's, it's kind of, you know, abrupt and direct. I actually think the Bible admits that, that forgiveness is a difficult thing. So uh, I, I think first off this, uh, the Bible admits that forgiveness is controversial. In Luke 15, it's actually one of my favorite scriptures in all of the Bible, Jesus tells three stories, three stories of three lost things, a sheep, a coin, and a son. The final son is the story of a man who has two sons. The younger son is rebellious, is 
not wanting to put up with his dad's rules. And so he comes to his dad and he says, why don't you just give me my inheritance now? And in so doing, he shames the father, he shames the family, he moves to Vegas, he spends all of the money, he comes to the end of himself, he comes back to the family, not to be reinstated, but to get a job that he can spend the rest of his life making restitution for his failings and the shaming of his father. And in the story, the father further shames himself by running to the son toward reconciliation. In the Middle East, fathers don't run. It's embarrassing for you to do it. You walk because you're in charge. You walk because you put together. You walk because you're smart and tough and wise more than anyone else in the room. Not this father. This father is so overcome by his son being home that he sprints, giggling and snotting and laughing and crying like an idiot. That's the story Jesus tells. And he collapses into his prodigal son, and rather than just allowing him to have a job, he forgives him, and not only does he forgive him, but he reinstates him to the place that he was before he failed. It's an incredible story. The second son, the older son, isn't as impressed as you are. He isn't as impressed with the grace of the father. In fact, he's outraged. He's furious. And he ridicules the father, and he shames the father. And at the end of the story, the bad son is reconciled to the father and inside of the house having a party with the father. And the good son is separated from the father, not in spite of his goodness, but because of his goodness. That's the story that Jesus tells. Forgiveness is controversial, not because we fail to see the blessing of the one who needs to be forgiven. We get it. You screwed up. You need somebody to forgive you. I don't have any issue with that. I accept that there are people who do dumb things and need to be forgiven for said dumb things. That's not the controversial part, not in this story and not in our story. The controversial thing is that we don't know what their forgiveness means for us. What what does their getting forgiveness mean for me, mean for my feelings, mean for my sense of justice, mean for my safety, mean for my closure? Why do they get to do whatever they want and they're good and I've been trying to do what you wanted and I get nothing? It doesn't doesn't feel fair to see somebody get grace. It doesn't feel fair to see somebody not have to pay for what they put us through. And when we see somebody get forgiven without having to pay, we think to ourselves, have I been doing this wrong the whole time? Further, our culture, especially now, and please don't miss this, values outrage to the point of disincentivizing forgiveness. Our culture values outrage to the point that they say, if you're not outraged enough, you'll just forgive people, and that doesn't help anybody. You should stay outraged and make them pay. And if it's really significant, your outrage will be, outrage will be such that it will rub their nose in it, and that's what they deserve. When you read through the story in Luke 15, the older brother comes to the father, and he references the son. And listen to how he references the son. The only thing that he says about his brother. Now do understand, these are two grown men at this point. There's a whole lot of stories that he could have told to his brother. This is the one that he chooses to say to the father. This son of yours, not my brother, this son of yours, 
devoured your property with prostitutes. Now, that's an interesting way to tell that story, isn't it? That's an interesting way to take probably years of events, years of conversation, years of decisions that, yes, of course, culminated with what he said not being false, but there's certainly more to it than he took your stuff and went and spent it on hookers. How many of you guys have been to a fair or to a park or, you know, somewhere, some type of carnival event and, and, uh, and there's an artist and they're drawing caricatures of people. Have you seen this before? And, and what that artist does is they have you sit down and they find something on you that is unusual or less attractive, right? And they accentuate it. And so my mustache would probably just be more out of control than it is. My bald head, right? Uh, there would be certain things about me that would be accentuated in this cartoonist picture, uh, and the reason is to create humor for them at the, expense, <laughs> at the expense of me. I don't know why you would ever pay somebody to do this, okay? But, but that's what happened. I'm just going to find something about you that is, is a little off, and I'm going to accentuate it to the point that you are a one-dimensional cartoon. You need to know that this is what our heart does when somebody fails us, hurts us. When, when somebody lies, we say they're a liar. But in the exact same scenario, if we were caught doing the exact same thing, we would say, well, yes, but it's complicated. It's not one-dimensional. It's multi-dimensional. Let me explain to you the reason that I lied. Yeah, 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 I lied, but that doesn't make me a liar because here's the multi-dimensional reasons that I chose to not tell the whole truth. Now, when you lie, it's one thing. You've got a big nose and a big mouth, and you're a liar. And we turn people into less attractive cartoon characters so that our heart can feel justified in making them pay. Right now, our culture, please don't miss this, teaches us that it is better to be a victim than it is to be healed. It's better to be a victim than it is to be well. It's better to be a victim than it is for it to be restored. It's better for you to be outraged than it is for you to be gracious. It's better for you to ignore complexity than it is for you to be compassionate. It's better for you to cancel than it is for you to reconcile. It's better for you to find identity in your wound than to get well from your wound. We tell ourselves and each other that we've suffered enough. And there's no sense in allowing them or it or any of you do anything else to us. And so we build these walls of singular perspective where others outside of that wall who create any wince or any sense of repetition, they're wrong and we're right. They're one-dimensional, we're multi-dimensional. We need to protect ourselves from them regardless of whether or not it's true, whether or not there's a different perspective, whether or not God says he sent Jesus to the cross and left the two empty so we could be well and resurrected and whole, not just in ourselves, but between one another. It's better to be outside of the party as long as you're safe than it is to be inside of the party feeling uncomfortable. 
I want you to notice something about this story. The older brother's beef started with the younger brother, but who did his beef end up with? The father. And the same is true about you and I. See, you think that you're mad at the person who did the thing. You think your beef is with them, but if you don't deal with your beef, your beef will end up being with the father. And the father will want to be in close, near, loving relationship with you, and your perspective on them will keep you from being in the relationship with him that he craves and you need. That's the lie of the enemy. The enemy says they did it to you, and they did. It wasn't right, and it wasn't. Somebody has to make them pay. It's probably you. And you say, you know what? It's right. And you linger on it, and you stay on it, and you become embittered by it, and you think that you're making them pay, but over time, the only thing that it's doing is keeping you away from the Father. The enemy doesn't care how you think about them. He cares about you being outside of the house. The enemy isn't interested in you and them and it and those and your heart and your harms and your traumas and your any of those things. The only thing he cares is that you stay away from the Father. He doesn't care if you go to Vegas or you stay here in Kansas City as long as you're not at home with the Father. And this is what bitterness does. It damages us horizontally, but eventually it lands vertically. Eventually, it lands vertically. But here's the thing that I love about God's kindness to us. He admits forgiveness is hard. Forgiveness is complicated. Forgiveness makes you and I feel vulnerable. When I talk to you about forgiveness, even now you're like, oh man. Can we do the Super Bowl thing again? Actually, let's talk about anything other than forgiveness. I don't care what. Talk to me about my money, Tim, please. Don't talk to me about forgiveness. It's so close, and it's so personal, and just like in the physical, we protect our wounds. And I'm asking you to show your wound to God. And it's hard, isn't it? It's hard. Secondly, the Bible says we struggle not only with the controversy of forgiveness, but we struggle to connect forgiveness. In Matthew 18, 21 and 22, it says, Peter came up and said to him, Lord... How often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? And I love that he starts with, my brother sin against me, not, how many times should I forgive somebody? How many times can this sucker do the same thing to me over and 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 over, right? Can you hear Peter? Can you hear the, can you hear the spin in his voice? How many times can my brother sin against me and I have to forgive him? And listen to what he says, as many as seven times? Now, before you get too judgy of Peter, seven is seven more times than you've forgiven your brother. So let's not get too hoity-toity. And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Now, there's a lot going on culturally here. The first thing that you need to understand is that the Jewish Talmud, which Peter would have been familiar with, only required its adherents to forgive three times. So when Peter said seven times, he thought he was being ultra generous. He said, I'll double it and then I'll add one. Right? Talmud says I got to do three. Jesus, how about seven times? Eh? 
Can you see Peter struggling not only with his angst about the person that has damaged him, but wanting Jesus to congratulate him for his piety? How about seven times? And here's the thing that I need, I need us to be square with. Uh, it's wild to me how much sense Peter makes to me here. It's, wi- it's wild to me. Peter likely is asking because someone or something is coming to his mind. Like you don't walk up to God and say, God, how many times I got to forgive this fool? Unless you have somebody that you are struggling to forgive. Like Peter, I am somebody who has been forgiven once and for all. Everybody in this room, because of the blood of Jesus Christ and the tomb being empty, you stand before God forgiven once and for all. It's a beautiful thing. It was true about Peter, and it's true about us, but we have this tension. Yes, positionally I'm forgiven, but they have done this thing to me. And like Peter, I have a deep concern for being taken advantage of. And it gets me asking, how many times, God, do I have to deal with their mess before I'm able to be free of them? Like Peter... I am equally willing to have the number be higher than I am comfortable with and higher than your number. I go to God and I say, God, I know that I'm forgiven. God, I know that you're gracious, but God, I just need to know how many times I have to say that it's okay for this person to do this thing. And I'm willing for it to be more than I would like it to be, but I just need to know because trust me when I tell you, I'm keeping count. And Jesus answers Peter by basically saying this, if you're keeping count, you aren't forgiving. You see, some of us, <laughs> like me, say, fair enough, and I open up my calculator and I say, what's 70 times 7? Fair enough. The number after that number, we done. That's not Jesus' point. Jesus says, if you're putting a lot of energy into how many times, you're putting no energy into being forgiving. And how many of you know it takes an incredible amount of spirit-filled energy to be forgiving? You can't afford to be keeping count if your heart is to be forgiving. And then Jesus tells a story. And he tells a story of a man who owes a king 10,000 talents. Now, a talent is the highest currency denomination in the Roman Empire. It's, I don't even know what it is in, in, in the States. What's the largest dollar bill you can get? Is it a Benji? Is it, there's a $1,000 bill? All you high rollers, right? I never seen a $1,000 bill in my life. Okay, it's a $1,000 bill. So it's the equivalent, it's the equivalent of that. 10,000 was the highest number for which Greek, the Greek language had a specific word. So Jesus says in the Roman Empire, this is the highest currency denomination. And then he uses 10,000, which is the highest number that has a specific number in the Greek language. It is a deliberately unattainable number. Are you with me? A normal working man made one talent a year. So let's just take in the United States, the average working man annual salary is about $40,000, which makes you either feel good or bad, depending on where you are, all right? Which means that this is the equivalent of a $400 billion debt, which, by the way, would be larger than 80% of the gross national product of countries in the world today. It's an absurd number. 
Like, it, it's a made-up number, okay? So this, 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 this cat owes this king an absurd amount of money. And the man goes to the king and asks for patience and promises to pay it back, which he could have never done. Are you with me? He doesn't just go to the king with regret. He goes to the king with a plan for restitution. And the king releases the man from the debt, forgives the debt, and the man walks out of the presence of the king free of all liability and obligation. The man then walks down the street, goes to the house of a guy who owed him probably somewhere in the range of 10 bucks, demands that that man give him his 10 bucks, the man asks of the first servant exactly what the first servant had asked of the king. Please be patient with me, I'll pay you back. The first servant chokes the second servant and throws him into debtor's prison. The king finds out. <laughs> he calls the first servant back and he questions the first servant with this simple question. Should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you. Should you not have done for him what I chose to do for you? And notice that the once conversant and begging servant has nothing to say. Now, whether that be because he's so angry that he still thinks he's right, or he's so at fault that he knows he has nothing to say, I have no idea. But in either case, the king throws the first servant into the same debtor's prison a debt that he would never be able to pay back. And he ends with this absolutely terrifying statement. This is Jesus. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. So the story is pretty clear. The king is God. Each of us has an unforgivable debt to pay. Each of us receives mercy and grace from him. And when we refuse to forgive others, we imprison them and act with breathtaking and judgeable hypocrisy. We have a difficult time taking what God says is true about us and attaching us to somebody else, don't we? Yeah, 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 I get it. I'm forgiven of all kinds of things. But do you know what they did to me? Do you know what they said to me? Do you know how many times they've done the same thing to me? And I think that God is up in heaven and we think that he's making a theological argument. No, he's not making a theological argument. He says, don't you think that you should have been as merciful to them as I've been to you? But in our hearts, in our heads we say yes. In our hearts we say, yeah, I don't know, it's close, God. Come on. Forgiveness is controversial and forgiveness is hard for us to connect to our circumstances and to our hurts and to our traumas. And we're sure glad that God forgives us, but it feels like it has very little to do with us forgiving somebody else. And so here's the, here's the problem with forgiveness. God admits it's controversial. God admits it's hard, hard for us to connect, but, but he also very clearly commands us to do it. So in spite of the allowances... In spite of the complexity, in spite of the controversy, the, the Bible is profoundly clear that we are not only to be forgiving, but we are to be people of forgiveness. The Bible calls us into the deep end where our feet don't touch 
cause us to tread into the waters of our hurts and disappointments in the presence of the gospel. If you're going to be a follower of Jesus, this is a do not pass go issue. Yes, it's controversial. Yes, it's difficult. Yes, it's difficult for us to connect. Yes, we live in a broken world. Yes, you don't have as much control as you thought you did. Yes, it's over and over and over and over and over again. But the Bible meets our circumstance with the command over and over and over again. Jesus puts it in the Lord's Prayer. Our blueprint for daily prayer involves regularly facing and being forgiving. Every day. Why does Jesus say, think about forgiveness every single day? Because if you're going to be a follower of Jesus about forgiveness, you're going to have to think about it every single day. And that's the thing. We don't think about it every day until it has consumed us. And so Jesus says, every day, think about the fact that you're forgiven, and every day, think about being forgiving. Mark chapter 11, Jesus again, Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. Oh, that's good news, isn't it? Thank you, God, for that. And whenever you stand praying, forgive. And if you have anyone against you, so that your Father also who is in heaven may forgive you of your trespasses. You're in 21 days of prayer. It's day 19. You're right on the precipice of God answering your prayer. You call out to God for the 19th day in a row asking him for that prayer. And then you suddenly remember, oh man, I got someone that I'm, I'm super sideways with. What does God say to do? Make sure you finish 21 days of prayer. And then, No, he says... Leave the church house, go find them, forgive them, and then come back and keep praying. That's how important forgiveness is. Think about it every day. Put it in the Lord's Prayer. When you're at church having that Holy Spirit moment, the thing that you think, I shouldn't leave this to go do that, God says, yes, you should. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 13, bearing with one another and, as if that's not enough, If one of you has a complaint against another, forgive each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Ephesians 4 and verse 29, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it might give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. How how would we grieve the Holy Spirit? Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another. And there it is again, as God in Christ forgave you. Matthew chapter 6. And forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. For if we forgive others their trespasses, our Heavenly Father will also forgive us. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, don't miss this, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Listen, the Bible talks so clearly, so abruptly, so directly, so simply about forgiveness. I read one author who said forgiveness is the central issue of the Christian life. Now, there are times, if I'm honest with you, that Jesus in particular, but the Bible in general, messes with my theology. Has this ever happened to you before? We are adamant when we say that we are saved by grace. Come on, say amen to that. 
it is not of our works, lest anyone should boast. Ephesians chapter 2. And we love to hang on that rim. Not even the work of forgiveness. We're not saved by the work of forgiveness. And then Jesus comes along and says, if you don't forgive others, the Father won't forgive you. Wait, what? What, 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 do, you, what do you mean, Jesus? And I think because sometimes we think that Jesus couldn't have possibly meant that, we just kind of pass over it. So here's how I would say it. Jesus is saying, if you can't bring yourself to grapple with forgiving them or it, you are deeply unclear when it comes to your Christian faith to the extent that you might not have it. Jesus says this is so central and so simple. I'm not saying it's easy. It's controversial. It's hard to connect. But it's so central to who you are that if you can't do it, it's hard for me, this is Jesus speaking, to imagine that you understand, let alone lay hold of the promises of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Forgiveness is an essential skill for a Christian. It's the reason that we're doing this series, because it's something that we have to learn to do, because our hearts don't naturally want to do it, so we don't learn the skill. It's a moral imperative in light of the gospel. It's a biblical command that cuts directly to the heart of what it means to be a Christian. Now this is where we have to start as we dive into this study on forgiveness. Here it is. What do I do when God tells me to do something and I don't want to? What do I do when God says, this is for your good and I don't believe him? What do I do when God says, I'll meet you in this, but I need you to trust me and take a step toward it, and I say, I want to stay right here? What do I do when it feels better for me to be outside of the party, away from the Father, because I'm not near them, what, what, what do I do when their, when their sins and their brokenness feels bigger than mine to the point that it feels to me like God can deal with mine, but I can't deal with theirs? The question as it pertains to forgiveness is, really has nothing to do with them, friends. It really has nothing to do with what happened. We'll get to that. It has to do with whether or not you'll trust God that forgiveness is a blessing to you. Whether or not you'll trust God that God's ways are actually good. Whether or not you'll trust God that God actually knows best. Whether or not you'll trust God that even if it doesn't work how you wanted, the simple obedience of it, God is worthy of it. Forgiveness has to start, friends, with you. You have to be willing to do it. And your willingness has nothing to do with them. It has to do with your heart to being obedient to what God tells you to do. You have to believe that forgiveness is not only necessary, but it's worth pursuing. You have to believe that this isn't just something that I have to do. It's something that I get to do. It's not a one-off, but that God wants me to be the kind of person who forgives not, I forgave, I did it, fine, leave me alone. No, God wants to reorder your heart through his love, mercy, and grace. To where it makes sense to you to forgive somebody who has deeply wounded you. To where it feels like something that 
you're interested in doing, that you want to do, that you're open to doing. Yes, it's going to be difficult. No, I don't want you to touch it. Yes, it's controversial. I'm having a difficult time connected. But God, I trust you that what you say about this incident, not only are you right about it, but whatever you ask from me regarding it, you're worthy of. Forgiveness, listen, has to be decided before it can be delivered. It isn't the same as reconciliation. We'll talk about that later. Forgiveness doesn't start with anyone but you. Forgiveness is a promise before God not to take revenge on the wrongdoer. What does that mean? It means that I commit to God that I'm not going to talk to them about it anymore that I'm not going to talk to somebody else about it and them anymore, and that I'm not going to talk to myself about it anymore, that we're done. I'm going to take the payment, take the blow. I'm going to move forward. I'm going to trust God that healing isn't going to come in closure or their apology, but that healing comes from the empty tomb and the worthiness of God. I have to believe that forgiveness isn't some therapeutic action that makes me free or makes me feel better, although it is. Forgiveness isn't for them. Listen, forgiveness isn't predominantly for you. Forgiveness is primarily for him. Why should I forgive? Because God requires it of you. Because God is worthy of it. Because God sent his son to the cross to be butchered only to raise again three days later. And he says, my people are going to be forgiving. So any benefit past your obedience, you feel better, you have more emotional health, you have greater calm and peace, your gut stops hurting, you can sleep better at night. It's just a simple added benefit to being able to worship your Savior. Your forgiveness of them, friends, might be the greatest worship that you can give God now. On display in uh, St. Patrick's Cathedral in Dublin hangs an ancient door with a hole in the middle of it. The story of what's known as the Door of Reconciliation is related to an Irish expression called chancing one's arm. In 1492, two prominent Irish families, the Ormonds and the Kildares, were in the midst of a bitter feud, a war, besieged by Gerald Fitzgerald, the Earl of Kildare, Sir James Butler, the Earl of Ormond, and his followers took refuge in the chapter house of St. Patrick's Cathedral and bolted themselves in. As the siege wore on, the Earl of Kildare concluded that the feuding was foolish, He were two families worshiping the same God in the same church, living in the same community, in the same country, but trying to kill each other. So he called out to Sir James, and as the inscription of St. James says, under oath on my honor, you shall receive no villainy. Afraid of some further treachery, Ormond did not respond. So Kildare seized his spear, cut a hole in the door, and thrust his hand through the opening. Who knows what happens next? And this is what forgiveness feels like, right? If I put my hand through that opening, I might come back with a stump. I make myself vulnerable. It was grasped on the other side. 
by a glad hand. The door was opened and the two men embraced and the feud ended. From this noble gesture came the expression, chancing one's arm. Now here's what I need you to understand, friends. Before you worry about the other person, understand that you are chancing your arm not to them, but to God. I'm not vulnerable to you. I'm trusting God. This isn't about whether or not you grasp it. This isn't about whether or not you reciprocate it. This isn't about whether or not you say it back to me. This is my first journey between me and him. And so I put my hand in vulnerability and courage through the controversy, through the misconnection, and I say, I forgive you. Why? Because I trust him. I put my hand through the door because I trust him. I put my hand through the door because I obey him. I put my hand through the door because I worship him. I put my hand through the door because even if I come back with the stump, he's still worthy of it. This is what being a person of forgiveness is. It has nothing to do with you. It has nothing to do with their response or what comes next. It has to do with here today when it's hard and I'm struggling to connect and it feels controversial and I feel vulnerable and I just as, just as much be willing to stay out here, God says, nope, put your hand out. And I'll take care of what comes next. Friends, over the next couple of weeks, I'm going to teach you what it means to be forgiving and how to be forgiving and, and all the things that God needs to form in you for you to be open to do that. But I need you to understand this. Your moment right now is whether or not you're going to trust God and put your hand through that hole to whatever's on the other side. Will you obey God today? Will you trust God today? Will you say God is worthy today? Will you worship God today? That's where we start. God, we love you. I thank you for the fact that you not only chanced your arm, but you moved into our neighborhood, became one of us, knowing God, that we would reject you, falsely accuse you, beat you, shame you, scorn you, nail you to a tree. God, forgive me. I... I have such a hard time with this. I want justice. I want closure. I want, I want peace. But God, you call us to make peace. You call us to go first. You call us to be courageous. You call us, in view of the gospel, to put our hand through that door to whoever or whatever is on the other side, God. And the truth is that you do it for our blessing. And the truth is that there's lots of therapeutic reasons to do it, but the, the fundamental motivation for us as sons and daughters of you is that we trust you, that we obey you, that you're worthy of it, that we can trust you with what comes next, Lord. So I, I just pray over these next couple weeks, God, I know that a lot of us are walking around with hurts and traumas, wounds that we've been protecting, that we don't want to talk about, that we don't want to touch. But God, I just pray right now that you would just remove any other person or circumstance from our mind, that we would just Say, okay, God, I'm listening. Okay, God, let's talk about it. Okay, God, just between you and I, I'll obey. God, we know that you're a good shepherd and that you're a good father. 
and that you'll walk us through whatever valley, whatever hurt, whatever past, whatever betrayal, and that we're safe with you. So God, I'm asking for you to do a powerful work over the next couple weeks here at Graceway. That you would set us free and make us well, but more than that, you would receive our worship and that you'd be glorified by it. We love you today, God. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for your mercy being new. Thank you for forgiveness once and for all. We need it. We're grateful that we have it in you. We thank you and we pray these things in the name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen and amen.